Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. I'm James Rea. I edit and publish the website, theweeklydriver.com, and I write an automotive column for Bay Area News Group. My co-host and friend is Bruce Aldrich, and today we have a return guest, uh, a guy that we really admire because um, one of the nice things around the country is you can almost be in any state and uh, look at Google or some other place and find an auto museum, and they're, they're always fun to, to go to. They're all different shapes and sizes, and Jeff Bleemeister is the executive director of the AACA uh, Museum in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and if I feel like I know Jeff a little bit because the museum puts out a very nice um, comprehensive newsletter, updates on different things that are going on, and I received notice that the museum is now back open uh, to the public, and uh, Jeff, thanks for being available. You've been on, uh, this is your second time with us, so thanks for being available. Oh, you're welcome, James. It's, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me to return. You bet. Uh, Jeff, a good place to start, I guess, in Pennsylvania. We're, we're in California and Sacramento. Uh, what guidelines did you follow, and what's up in Pennsylvania with COVID and the ability to, for the public to go visit um, places like the museum? How did that all work out? Well, that's a very good question. We were closed during the summer. At the, the height of the first, the first surge, we were closed for about 100 days. Yes. Then we were allowed to re- reopen with limited capacity, and, and you, you know venues here at that point. I think we were at a quarter capacity of our of, of our occupancy we could have. So you know, with a seventy thousand square foot building, we're never really attached to that number unless we're having a big major indoor event. So we we reopened during the summer to about one third of our regular tenants, which is the same thing that I find most museums across the country and my colleagues in the in the automotive field were, were kind of feeling the same pinch. We tried some creative advertising over the summer paired with Hershey Park, and we got that number up closer to 50. But we're still, you know, we're still open following CDC guidelines and, and struggling to do our best to attract visitors and let people know we have a, a safe environment. You know, we, we do temperature checks when you come in. We, have, we sanitize the building constantly. Um, we require a mask per, per the instructions of our governor. And, you know, we just, we just do whatever it takes to, to make the, the museum, like I said, warm and welcoming and safe. Gotcha. Um, the, one of the highlights I noticed in all the different things you have going on is um, what really caught my eye is uh, LaSalle. And I don't know much about LaSalle, but um, we'd like to ask you about its background and, and how that uh, exhibit came about. And um, give us a good overview of, of LaSalle, if you would. Bruce has done some studying, so he's got a couple of good follow-up questions. Let him get the question. LaSalle is actually, I think you probably caught something. We, you know, when we, when we closed here for the 100 days, we really try to keep ourselves in the public eye by, by doing what a lot of museums have done. They got going virtual. With, with, uh, we, we filmed 27 virtual tours in one day and then edited them. I was here all day filming one day, just spontaneously. And then we edited them and dispersed them, and just released them about one per, one per, uh, per, per week or so. And we also started a neat thing called the Collections Chronicles, where we had Bill Rothermel, one of our, our board members, who's also a, a judge and a master of ceremonies at a lot of, of Concord events across the country. He has a wealth of automotive knowledge. He started highlighting and talking about some of the, the prized cars from our collection. We're going to release one today, actually today or tomorrow, uh, at Betty White's Cadillac. We celebrated her birthday with her, you know, in, in her honor earlier this oh, week. Oh, my gosh. 99. I heard, yes. At 99 years old, right, right, California and Betty White. And we have... Uh, uh, her 77 Cadillac Seville that was given to her brand new by her husband, and it was used as a transportation car for quite a number of years. She named it Parakeet. 
That will be featured in our Collections Chronicle email blast that comes out. It will probably come out Thursday or Friday. I can't wait. It will be transferred to our YouTube page as well and on our museum website. But to get back to your question, LaSalle was featured as one of the, the cars in Collections Chronicles. I believe it's a 33 LaSalle uh, Rumble Seat Roadster. And um, we didn't actually do an exhibit on LaSalle yet, but we got pretty deep in that. And that, that's probably what you got yes. via one of our email blasts. Yes, thank and, you. Uh, LaSalle is neat because it was a companion car for Cadillac. LaSalle was an explorer. Uh, they explored the, territory, the U.S. territory pre-colonial period, along with, along with Cadillac, who was also another French explorer. And GM in that era... I guess it was, uh, is it Kettering, whoever? No, not Kettering. Um, the GM executive in that period thought there was, that people's automotive needs changed as they evolved and, and they prospered or they grew or whatever might have happened, and people had different automotive wants and needs. He wanted General Motors to be the car company that could supply a vehicle for everyone, every amenity, every price point. So he was always looking for the niche markets to fill, and they developed LaSalle as a companion car for Cadillac to fill the niche between Buick and Cadillac. You know, it was one step higher than, than a, than a uh, Buick, theoretically, a little bit below a Cadillac. A lot of the models employed the same engine, a smaller, slightly smaller wheelbase, different, uh, a few different trim features to designate them. But they were basically uh, a smaller, slightly less expensive Cadillac. And we have a real nice one here that, that you were talking about. I saw that, the, uh, what you were mentioning. I think it was Sloan was the executive. And they start with Chevrolet, Pontiac, Olds, Buick, and Cadillacs, the top tier. And like you said, sure, that, you're right. that LaSalle is what they call companion cars back then. I guess all the divisions had companion cars. I had never heard of that. And There were, there were a couple others. There was a, a Viking, there was a Marquette, and then the, the most interesting one is Pontiac. Pontiac actually started out as the companion car to Oakland, and it was more successful than Oakland, so it absorbed its parents. Sure, and LaSalle was built uh, like 13 years or something like that? Yeah, roughly like that, yeah. Uh, Jeff, how, how rare are they? Um, uh, you know, in, on the West Coast here, we have the Concours, as you mentioned, with one of your uh, executive director, uh, one of your um, board members being um, a judge. We have, on the Monterey Peninsula, we have uh, the Concours, uh, De Elegance, and every year they pick out um, at least one, if not two, um, infamous or famous car manufacturers and feature them, but... I don't recall them doing LaSalle. They've done some other ones that were pretty rare that they made 100 or 200. How, how rare is the LaSalle these days, and are they pretty pricey? Um, the answer is they're, they're not. I don't think they're any more pricey than a Cadillac, but there are some of them that are pretty, you know, in the 30s was the high era for many people in terms of car design. And you get the multi-cylinder <laughs> engine cars there, and, and I think the LaSalle had, usually had a V8 copied after the Cadillac. So it's a it's a big engine car with a, with a very attractive body. They they were they were never in the I don't think they were ever in the top five or maybe they flirted with the top ten in terms of manufacturing for a few years. But they and they they were slightly in terms of value. I think they're comparable to a Cadillac. They're just they're just rare enough that you don't see them often at shows. No, you don't at all. And it's interesting too. It's it's a convertible as you mentioned the one that you have, and it has a has a rumble seat which was. Like, absolutely ridiculous to, to try to <laughs> climb up the, the rear fender to get in that thing. Correct. You're right. There's little spots to put your feet, and you right. get to pull yourself up. And, yeah, I, I'm always wondering how they got in there without scratching up the paint with their shoes and heels and so forth. But 
Uh, you know, I don't know. I've seen a lot of rumble seats. They're, they're an attractive, interesting feature, but, of course, nowadays they, you can never have a car like that. There's no seatbelts in there. It's wide open to the elements, and uh, you'd never be able to get through a Department of Transportation regulations and safety rules. Well, the hemlines are too short nowadays, too. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> That's another point, yes. <laughs> Jeff, um, one thing that jumped out on me uh, is, is, of course, the color combination, and the paint, the colors, the two-tone of that car is so beautiful um, I'm wondering if you know, maybe Bruce does, did they just used to do better jobs at painting cars? I mean, there are some cars these days that are using um, uh, muted or matted colors that uh, come to the forefront, but it just seemed for a while that we were having some pretty bland cars in terms of color combinations, and the old days were so beautiful. So how is it that that car has those wonderful color patterns on it? Do you know much about that? I believe I believe it was re- in original colors, but the records are, are, you know, it's hard to find records from that era and, and be concise about it everything. One interesting thing in that period, though, is a lot of cars, and this was not one of them, a lot of the higher-end cars, 20s and 30s, could be, could be selected. You have a factory body and a, and a palette of colors, or you could order a custom-built body from a Coachworks firm, and the palette color at that point would be almost limitless. Yes. So that's why you get some of these really extravagant cars from the that 20s and 30s period, the, and a lot of the true classics, the ones that are recognized as classics by the car club, are, are, have some really outrageous colors because they were trying to, they were trying to set themselves apart and they were trying to cater to a to an upscale audience. So there's a lot of variety there in some of these cars. Perhaps Rolls Royce, as far as modern cars, is something similar to that that yes. go, that's going on right now, where you can order. Yes, perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, Jeff, you mentioned uh, early uh, early on that um, your other colleagues in other museums around the country. How active are you in? whether now it would be Zoom meetings, but in other ways, um, what, is the, what is the status of automobile museums in the country? Are, are we seeing maybe uh, a turning the corner that people can go back and, and visit, as you mentioned, with your museum? Is there uh, any insight that you might share about the wonderful world of automobile museums um, nationwide or maybe even on the East Coast? Well, I, w- I, would, I would probably reach out to, the, to people who are listening to your program and say, please, Please, if you're interested, take safety precautions and please come visit not only our museum here in Hershey, but where, your, your hometown car museum and any museum for that matter. We're, we're no different than the restaurants and small businesses in terms of the way we've been affected by the pandemic. And uh, we're all hurting. Our, our staff has been cut in half since the pandemic started. We've been closed two separate times, and we constantly deal with new regulations and rules to, tr- to operate under. Uh, our budget right now, we're putting together our 2021 budget that we'll have to adopt and it's tough. Even we went from about 15 employees down to about six, and we're trying to find ways to raise revenue, which is really hard when you can't use your facility for any longer for weddings and rentals and indoor events where you raise large amounts of money hosting parties, banquets, and, and, and programs, even basic programs where you give a lecture or something are, are now governed by a lot of rules and, and, and limitations. So I, I would say frequent your museums just as you would frequent any other place that you, that you treasure because they really need your help right now. And uh, our, our, uh, our other our museums, I'm an active board member of the National Association of Automobile Museums, which is a nationwide organization. I serve on the board there. We just had a really short and informative um, Zoom, Zoom-based uh, annual meeting so we can conduct some business because our meeting got postponed and then it got canceled. We have an annual conference every year. And my colleagues are in the same, same boat. Average museum attendance is about 30% of what it was a year ago at this time before, on any given day before COVID hit. And um, a lot of them are closed. A lot of the state-funded museums particularly. And I was in your neck of the woods 
I told you a little while back, and I, yes. I did visit the California Museum in, in, in Sacramento, and they were open. And just like I'll, when I finish here, I'm going down to our ticket counter to do a two-hour shift. I've learned how to operate all of our systems, and, and we're a big nation, you know, national, national world-class museum. We're, we're, we're struggling to get through. We're, we're doing well, and we've got a quality program, but we're struggling. And when I came to your museum, executive director met me at the door, and he said, I'm down to one other full-time and one part-time person. You know, we're kind of ins- we're, we're kind of insulted, Jeff. I'm I'm having fun with you. We would have appreciated that phone call. We would have taken you to lunch or had a cup of coffee. Oh. So next time you drive 1,100 miles, I think you mentioned with your wife, you you better give us a shout, and we'll uh, we'll meet you in person and, and have a good time of it. To do that, I, I appreciate that kind offer. Sure. And just just as a little bit of follow up, you know, I know a lot of the state museums. I wanted to, I had a, a stint at a railroad museum at one point when I was between jobs here at the car museum because I'm a museum person by trade and, and by education and a historian and a car lover since a, t- a teenager. And I know there are the state museums in California. I think many of them are still closed with no, no set date to reopen. It's the same here in Pennsylvania with ours. So museums are trying to err on the side of caution. We're not a state-funded facility. We're a private nonprofit. We're open to the public, and we rely on the public. So we're open, but we're doing it in a controlled manner, you know, following every possible guideline that's been given to us to so we ensure a a safe, a safe experience for our visitors, which is really what we want and we, we insist upon. So, yeah, then it's synopsis. You know, museum, museums like, are like small businesses, and, and they need your support. So please go out there and visit when you can, when you're able. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. Did you, by chance, have a rumble seat car that you drove 1,100 miles out to California in? <laughs> no, I, I, my wife and I flew out, you know, with this. I'd plan, I promised her a vacation in California okay. for the last year. And we really wanted to do this. We rented a car. And we just tried to get as much of, of your part of the state in as we could in, in the one week that we had. So, no, it was it was more like the shape of a toaster. It was a little, I think it was a Kia Soul or something like that. An appliance. <laughs> okay. An appliance. The opposite of what you <laughs> what you have on view in Hershey. Exactly. I mean, I, I have to give it credit. It was, it was not a bad experience driving it. But, you know, if I had unlimited funds and time, I would have had a nice convertible. And, and I would have taken my time going places. Uh, Jeff, in another area, uh, thanks for filling us in on the museums at large there. That was good good stuff. And, yeah, we, we I'm going to get the cliche out here that you are in a, in a place where not only could somebody come and visit the museum, but they could go down the street and um, and visit the other uh, special place in Hershey, too. They could, sweetest place on earth. <laughs> the sweetest place on earth, yeah. And I hope you don't Correct. mind that. I hope you don't mind that, uh, that mixture of um, two attractions in, in one podcast. <laughs> so... No, no, we we do. You know, we're, we 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 love every visitor. We get a lot of diehard car enthusiasts, but we also get families who are here for, on a vacation. And our museum, our museum, I think, appeals to everyone because it's not just cars and roads; it's environments and back interactive things. And and we have a, we have a great group of, of tour guides here, valor, uh, docents we call them, who give who give interactive tours and help out answering questions. I guess my uh, next question would be: People, if people don't find themselves in Hershey or in the neighborhood where they could, you know, take a little drive over to you online, still, um, you guys have a lot going on. I, you have a very active calendar of things on the horizon. So, give us a few examples of what you what you have coming up uh, next, or for the next, you know, month or so, or two months. Well, right right now we have something an exhibit that i really would like to promote because i think it's probably the best of its type ever put together in the country maybe maybe ever anywhere you know everyone i'm sure if i say the word hemi to you guys it evokes an immediate response right sure power yeah sure power yes uh, right 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 and uh, if, if you you guys may may know the answer to this but if you ask the average person you know when we, what's the first hemi engine and who who manufactured hemis what would you say 
Bruce might know. I don't. No, I don't recall. Well, you know, there was a commercial a few years ago. The, the Yaz got a Hemi in it where the guy's ripping up the road and the, with his car with a window down he, he, with his mullet haircut and all that stuff. Oh, yes. Hemis were, were, were famous, became famous in the late 60s, early 70s, Dodge, Chrysler, Plymouth, Mopar cars because the big hemispherical had, had engines. They were, they, were, they were great at the drag race. They were great in NASCAR tracks, all that stuff. But we tackled the subject of Hemi, per se, on a bigger scale. We, we wanted to look at, we wanted to go back in history find out when the first hemispherical combustion chamber-headed engines were manufactured, because it's really, Chrysler kind of, they patented that name, so to speak, and trademarked part of it, but Hemi is a technology, and it goes way beyond that. We found out it goes almost back to the turn of the century from a French car. And we went through the process of trying to find everything and anything that had a Hemi engine in it, had Hemi technology in it, put it on display here. So we ended up with about 15 or 20 Chrysler Plymouth Dodge Mopar-style cars, but then we had another 20 other cars that had no connection to, to that brand that had Hemi engines. Like a Boss 429 Mustang is a more modern example. That has a hemispherical, a partial Hemi head engine. We found that uh, James Bond's Aston Martin had a Hemi engine in it. So the list went on and on. And then we went, got really crazy and got cutaway models and a little bit of everything else. We found that if you go to Harbor Freight and get a replacement generic engine for your, your go-kart, lawnmower, whatever, they offer something that has a Hemi engine, head engine in it. So... It got really crazy, and I don't think any museum's ever tackled that before. We have informative videos, all kinds of cars, cutaway engines, and we're putting together a program of speakers also, one per month that can address the subject of Hemi here at the museum. So that's our big feature right now that we're really proud of, and uh, I'm going to nominate it for an award. The, the group I mentioned earlier, the National Association of Automobile Museums, they give out exhibit awards every year, and I, I think this one is, is a worthy contestant to put in there for the, for the best of the year. Before I forget, before we forget, Jeff, the the museum's website uh, is very comprehensive and it's very well done. Um, the URL again, so we can tell people. Just www.aacamuseum.org. Thank you. We'll mention it again uh, afterward, but it's always good to tell people where to go uh, when they want to take a look. Appreciate uh, that. Oh, sure. You can get a real good feel for the museum. We have so many. The collections chronicles I mentioned are all online there. Uh, a lot of our email blasts are archived, and we have the 27, 28 different uh, videos that we did. You can see virtually every part of the museum, at least a piece of it, with some background information, some verbal information, and they've all been um, they've all been transcribed too. So you can they're they're scripted on the bottom. You know, if you have a, if you if you want to read them, you can read the text along with it. Because I, as you've gathered, I I did a lot of them, and I have a tendency to speak very quickly because I like to get a lot of information in well in the limited amount of time that I have. So. If you if you follow these videos, you'll get a glimpse of the entire museum, including our world-class Tucker collection, three Tuckers, test engines, all kinds of automobilia and things associated with Tucker from 1948. The only thing you don't see is our storage building. We have a really neat storage building that we just finished putting an HVAC system into. It's separate from the building. It holds about 80 cars, and we open it up seasonally for guests as a kind of a special add-on tour. Haven't covered that yet, but that's a whole other reason to uh, come to the museum in person and visit. YouTube has a variety of uh, videos that you've placed on there that you can search easily. Yeah, we have a channel, right, correct. And that's uh, not only indoor, indoors, but uh, you can see the beautiful green grounds outside the your, on your complex. So it, it really makes you want to go there. We're fortunate to have a really nice space here. We uh, the land was purposed was purchased to to um, to build a museum and have enough grounds to be able to hold car shows and events here, which we do regularly. 
and we, we picked one and we sold land to the Hershey region of ACA next door. So we have the, the local affiliate of ACA right here next to us. And then we also sold, sold our land originally back in the early 2000s before we built the museum to the to Spring Hill Suites Marriott. So we have a, a quality hotel on our grounds you can walk back and forth from as well. So we're developing a nice little campus here for visitors. That's great. Like a little Disneyland <laughs> hotel, but it's for cars, huh? Yeah, and, and we're contemplating if we can find the right arrangement. We'd like to put a... Um, like to put a, a small automotive-themed restaurant out front. Oh, that would be great. Not us doing it, but probably lease the property to, to an established business that had a plan that could benefit from all the, the Hershey traffic that's here year-round. Years ago, Jeff, this is uh, going to take a little bit of a um, talk to get to it, but I was driving in, in Missouri, of all places, and when I used to cover bicycle racing, and I had a few hours, and I was driving along country roads, and I'd stop to get a cup of coffee, and all of a sudden I saw this turnout and it said automobile museum it was a handmade sign with a little arrow on it and i got close to the building and they had placed a, an old car on top of a roof of a house or a warehouse and so i had a few hours i stopped in and i can't remember the name of the place i, I have it somewhere but um it what, what i'm getting to is with your affiliation with these uh, the national organization any idea how many automobile museums there are in the united states and um, I'm sure that there are some very uh, unique ones. We, we went to a military um, uh, museum for automobiles and tanks a while back in our part of the country. But um, how many are there, if you're, if you're aware of that? And are there some real unique ones? I'm not taking you away from your museum, but give us an overview. I, I don't have the exact number. I think that'd be a great project for, for the NAM, the organization I mentioned earlier, to try and put together. NAM itself has over, has over 200 members. Yes. So I, I'm guessing there's probably a couple thousand. If you go, if you really get down to the nitty gritty, there's there's small places, um, mom and pop organizations that open up for donations only. There are people. I know the collection was just, is being auctioned or was just auctioned from somewhere in Florida. The guy had a muscle car collection, and I think what used to be a, a shopping mall. I mean that would technically count as a museum too. So they really run the gamut from large to small. The Smithsonian could be considered a car, an auto museum because of their transportation areas. There, I, I would say there's a couple thousand. And maybe more. Yeah, even in Sacramento here, we have a, a, a automobile place called Bertolucci's, and they have um, maybe 10, 12 cars, something like that. And More uh, than that, yeah. They have well, more than that. But it's private. It's, it's private, so closed. I've been in it once or twice, and, and there are, we, we did a thing with, I guess, if you wanted to take it, stretch it really far, there's a guy in Sacramento who uh, has a, a backyard full of 12 or 13 cars, and sure. that's a museum, too. <laughs> it's, in, it's in the backyard, but... Yeah. Um, he doesn't advertise it. You just can't show up like I did, <laughs> like we did. But um, it's just so much fun to be out there in the in the uh, you know driving somewhere, and there's an automobile museum. And sure, I'll, I got an hour. I'll go talk to somebody about it. It's great. Oh, yeah, I love doing that. I love meeting people that way. And there there are lots of places we 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 borrow. We have about 250 vehicles in our collection that were all acquired through donations. They're, they run the gamut from of everything you can imagine. So someday I'll give you gentlemen a tour if you're ever up this way and you, show you, you everything. Fantastic. We'd love, love <laughs> to have you. You know, and and we. But what we do also is we, we borrow cars for exhibits like the Hemi exhibit. We we found 35 Hemi powered cars and we get them through all kinds of sources. And that's how I learned about collections like the ones you just mentioned. And then we try and follow up with these people and form a relationship so we can help each other out. And uh, we, have a, we have a really neat organization here. One of our upper membership levels is called the 161 Society, 161 based on our, our street address name. Um, and we, uh, the, the club, 
when you're allowed to, when there's no COVID problem, we, we travel to collections like that is a, is a benefit of membership. Oh, great. And, and get, to, get to meet these people and see their cars and, and otherwise, that you otherwise wouldn't even know about. So we're always keeping our eyes and ears open for places like that because there, there's so much, so much stuff out there of all different varieties, as you well know. Jeff, how have your donations uh, been going during these COVID times? Are you getting as, access to as many cars? Yeah, believe it or not, um, our average year is about 20, anywhere from 20 to 25 donations, really, really. About two a month is what it averages out to. And this past year, 2020, was no exception. We, we came in around 20 vehicles donated. They could be anything from a, from a motorcycle to a, to a limousine and, or a bus. And uh, people have been very generous to us, and that continues. And, and, our, and we've made the case, you know, as I mentioned, all museums are hurting. And we've gone back to the board. We've gone virtual, and we've also done our best to, to present our situation to our constituents and our members and the general public through our email blasts and, and, and uh, end-of-the-year appeals and so forth. And we tell people we want to earn every dollar here because we want to provide a quality experience for you. We want you to come back. We want you to enjoy the museum. And right now, we're so limited in what we can do, aside from just simply opening our doors and letting you walk through. We can't produce the programs that we like to. And we've explained this to people, and we've gotten a tremendous response back from the public and people who believe in us and support us, believe in us and will support us financially to help us get through this period. So we're extremely grateful all the way around. Jeff, um, I guess what I wanted to know, uh, whether it's on a personal level or museum or maybe it's both at the same time. If you had to go out in the big automobile world, um, do you have your eye on something that you would like to bring into the museum, whether it's a theme or an individual car that you say, boy, I'd love to have, you know, X, Y, Z. What would that be? Well, there are a lot of cars with historical importance. Some of the things that I think our collection is lacking that people would like to see and would benefit from educationally, we don't have a steam car or an electric car right now. We do, we do have a couple Modern electric cars, semi-modern, I mean, experimental things that were maybe made in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. I'd like to have an historic electric car and a steam car because I think with the, the trends and the way things are going, I'd like to be able to present all the different, the history. And, you know, what's new isn't necessarily new. People, a lot of people don't realize electric cars were made in, in fairly high numbers at one point and were actually in competition with steam and, and internal combustion to be the dominant form of, of a propulsion for automobiles. So I'd like to have one of each of those cars. I'd also like to, we, we have a, a DeLorean here on loan, and, and I'm hoping, and a prototype DeLorean, and I'm working with the people who own that, hoping to get that donated. I think that would be a neat car to have. And, you know, other than that, there's so many other things. A retractable Ford hardtop would be cool to have here. Yes. Um, it just, it just, it, it could change daily, but those are, are two or three or three or four things I think would, uh, would be nice to have here in the museum's collection. Do you reach out to a guy like Jay Leno, who I think also admires the early electrics and steam-powered cars? We, we have in the past. Uh, uh, Jay has, we have an event here called Night at the Museum, which is always held during the, the Wednesday of the big Hershey Fall Meet that's been going on for 60 years now, I guess. And it's, it brings hundreds of thousands of people to Hershey. It's the world's biggest swap meet and combined car show. And uh, Jay, he's been to the museum. He's walked through it. He's never really been here for a program or anything. So he knows who we are, and, and um, some of our people have met him in the past, and he pretty much has a standing invitation anytime he wants to come and join us for that event. And if he's listening, the invitation is good for 20, 2021 and beyond to be our speaker, to be our guest, any capacity whatsoever. He's always welcome here. So we respect him and, and appreciate his support of the hobby. I'll try to make it a point to um, 
forward the link to the podcast to uh, what would you say to his people? I suppose and see if it, see if it gets to him. That would be great. Um, Much appreciated. Oh sure, uh, Jeff. I guess this is about as good a time as any to. Um, Thank you for being our guest for the second time. Uh, I think we were podcast uh, episode number 133 when we had you on. It was last May. And uh, it's great to have you give us all your knowledge again. Uh, Nothing but the best with the museum. And we want to thank uh, Jeff Bleemeister, the executive director. You guys say double A-C-A? Do you say A-A-C-A? What is the best way for you guys to say it? Usually A-A-C-A. A-A-C-A Museum in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, what a trip it would be to be, not only to go to that swap meet, what I wasn't aware of, but any time of the year you can combine a lot of things in that in that community. Uh, so Jeff, thanks again for being available and we'll do our best to, uh, to help as we can for, for your wonderful museum. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for contacting me. Always a pleasure. Okay. Thank you very much. Take care, Jeff. Bye now. Take care. You too. Bye.